0: Welcome to The Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to The Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. Today, we'll be discussing the practice of stillness to cultivate the courage and necessary energy to deal with our ever-changing world. I'm delighted to be joined today by Octavia Rahim, a mother, author, activist, and an experienced yoga teacher and practitioner. Octavia began practicing yoga in 1999 and has been teaching since 2007. She founded Starshine and Clay an online and retreat space for Black, Indigenous, and women of color to rest and restore. Her work has been featured in Yoga Journal, Mantra, Well and Good on CNN, WXIA, and Atlanta Magazine. She's the author of the book we'll be discussing today, Pause, Rest, Be, Stillness Practices for Courage in Times of Change. You can find out more about Octavia on her website, Octaviarahim.com. And Rahim is R-A-H-E-E-M. OctaviaRahim.com. And you can follow her on Instagram at Octavia Rahim. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Octavia. I'm again delighted to be able to talk with you today and discuss your book, Pause Rest B.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. <laughs>
0: So before we dive into our dialogue about the practice of stillness to bring healing and new energy to our lives, let's start with a yoga moment, a moment of contemplation. So let's begin right where we are whatever we're doing whether we're sitting standing walking just bringing our attention to our body in space and in particular feeling the surfaces that support our weight where are our feet if we're sitting in a chair what parts of our body are in contact with that surface and then just bringing our attention to the breath and just noticing as we take a fully conscious breath, the next inhale and exhale. On the next inhale, the cool air entering the nostrils, and then feeling the warm air flowing out, and then just staying with our breath, just noticing not trying to change the natural rhythm just being aware of breath, of breathing. And as we rest here, right where we are, here's something to contemplate. A teaching from the founder and spiritual director of the Yoga Hour, Yogacharya O'Brien, from her book, Living for the Sake of the Soul. Sweep away negative or self-defeating thoughts with a conscious outbreath. Welcome happiness back into your heart and mind with a conscious in-breath. It takes only one transforming moment, one breath. Sweep away negative or self-defeating thoughts with a conscious out-breath. Welcome happiness back into your heart and mind with a conscious in-breath. It takes only one transforming moment. One breath. Oh. Once again, Octavia Rahim, welcome to the yoga hour. Again, we're here to talk about your book, Pause, Rest, Be, Stillness Practices for Courage in Times of Change. In it, you share how yoga can support us in gaining strength and courage through practicing stillness, particularly at this time of massive change in our world. The practice of yoga in this country so often focuses just on asana, just on the poses uh, that push us to exercise, stretch, work out, build strength. And in your introduction, you write, for so long, I've relied solely upon the trinity of hard work, grit and relentlessness. Yet here I am in a new place to access the wisdom needed. Now I must be still. Would you tell us more about what inspired you to write this book focused on stillness?
1: Yes, so first I want to um, just acknowledge what a beautiful way it is to start by stopping in the way that you invited us to do, um, which feels really resonant to me because I've been doing a lot of these interviews and it feels disingenuous to me to just lurch into to talking. Um, and giving more stimulus and more information and saying more words when, um, yes, I wrote a book about rest, and that book, I hope, is a very practical tool, and within that book, there are rest practices, and I want people to read it. I also really want people to actually rest, so thank you (laughs) for that opportunity to pause because the pause is a prerequisite to having the capacity to actually rest and also thank you for sharing that beautiful um contemplation of just one breath because a lot of times people go well how, how do i start a rest practice i can't rest it's impossible and i I'm literally say start with one breath because each breath has two pauses in it right right so i wrote pause rest be um, Because I, I need to stay in my practice of rest. <laughs> the teacher is my guru, right? right? Like I have incredible teachers of rest and I've had no more profound teacher of rest and stillness than the actual embodied practice of doing it. And I think each of us, we are microcosms of you know, the macro and macro can be you know, of like societal structures and each other, or we could go macro on a cosmic level. And when I say macro, I mean all of that. <laughs> and I'm like, everything needs rest even as we also do need movement. And so I, I figure that if I needed rest and I am a teacher and student of rest, that the macro must need that as well. And I also wrote Paul's recipe and divided the the book into these sections of endings, the liminal or the space in between and beginnings um, because (laughs) those are the cycles of life. Those are the cycles of existence yet we don't get any um, training in how to move through them, right? Right. And so I I do know it's a little, um, it's kind of ironic, right? That what I posit as a primary tool of navigation through endings, liminal, and beginnings is to be still, (laughs) right? To be still. I also wrote Paul's recipe because the world is moving at a faster and faster clip by the day and where are we actually going? Like, are we considering where we're going? It's like we got in a car and just started speeding, right? In any (laughs) proverbial direction, any direction, right? Right. And I, I got deeply curious about where, where's everybody going? We're rushing fast to where? And um, the pause is also a place where we can get our bearings, we can recenter, we can consider the greatest compass that we have, which is the one from within. And then we can take a more informed step. And so I wrote pause, wrote Paul's be stillness practices for courage in times of change because it's the book that I needed and the book that I really believed we needed. And the book also came from my yoga nidra and restorative and meditation practice. I, a basic practice I have is I rest and then I journal. And over some time, looking back at my journals, I'm like, I'm writing (laughs) about the power of stillness, the power of rest and the clarity, awakening, um, and power that comes from these places that I I hadn't been able to access in any other way. And I've been doing, you know, asana since 1999. Mm. Um, And the last thing I'll say about why the why to this book is that I started writing this book in June 2020. Mm. And um, it was a moment of collectively every kind of upheaval that one could imagine um every kind of ending that one could imagine um which which hurls us into the space in between which we often in that time and still now we were like uncertainty uncertainty everything is uncertain and I was like well isn't it always a actually uncertain we just like (laughs) grip a hold of things and convince ourselves that we have some sense of control when we literally don't Mm -hmm. you know and I also was thinking about how I not ever experienced a beginning that didn't have an end right and so a question I get asked a lot is why do you begin with endings and (laughs) and I said you know one I was Began writing the book in a moment where so many things were ending for so many people, personally and collectively, and I also was thinking about George Floyd and the the tragic and horrific end to his life, and what that also began for for so many who hadn't really been aware of that experience in the way that. I'd been, since I like almost birth, I knew, you know, I'm like, I knew that a George Floyd could happen because I've been aware. And so I I wrote the book. I was, I was writing within the time of a great ending, hurling, being hurled into uncertain or the liminal, <laughs> also the place of possibility, and then aware of um, the beginnings that were emerging out of that kind of, kind of end. Mm-hmm. um that that's one ending that was happening so yeah. that that's where this book comes from yeah um and I think it probably is flavored with you know every time has its own frequency and vibration mm-hmm. and it likely has that kind of energy and vibration of <laughs> the, the opening to this decade called the 2020s right <laughs> you know but hopefully like a, a sense of steadiness within it you know um so this book is what what got me through right. continues to get me through and the practices within it are and and in that way it's a very personal offering to the, right. the collective and the world
0: there's a couple things um i wanted to comment on so first of all yeah i just wanted to you know point to which you talk about in the book but you know and and um in a way it's so obvious but our our culture does not really value stillness (laughs) our culture values activity 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 and like kind of like what you're saying you know getting in that car setting off on that journey let's go 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 and yet um the practice of stillness is um which you just kind of described this perhaps in a slightly different world but it can open a space of possibility a space where something new can arise um so that stopping can actually lead to more powerful right action if we mm-hmm. give ourselves that opportunity rather than just you know dart off on the next on the mm-hmm. next thing um so I, I feel like you kind of just said that in in other yeah. words and then the, the other thing I was going to mention is, Um, For some reason over the last couple of days I've just been thinking about the correlation of your book of the three stages in your book and the breath and each breath like I was just doing that each breath each inhale is a beginning. Then there's that still point, as you pointed out, you know, sort of between the in breath and the out breath. And the out breath, of course, is the letting go, the ending. And then there's that other still point. You know, you even just mentioned this. And I don't know, it it just uh, struck me as as so it's this is a process that's so natural. It is a process that literally, you know, we do in what is it thousands of times a day. We breathe each breath and your book is just bringing more attention to like the exhale, that stillness point, you know, at the end, and then that opportunity then that arises with each new breath. So I don't know, it's funny, because you you even mentioned that you even. Yeah, that's,
1: that's it. Exactly. And one of the practices I teach in the book, because it's their reflections, their storytelling, and then there are practices is the pause breath, which is as simple as inhale notice the pause. exhale, notice the pause. don't change any part of the breath. just notice the movement and stillness that exists already. Uh, one of the my favorite things to say about the breath is that it is um, a library with you know millions of books within it. you know, like each breath there's so much um, wisdom in the breath, I'm like sit and observe your breath and learn everything you're trying to like figure out some other way. I'm like, there's so much I've learned just from being a a witness and then also embodied experiencer, right? I just made a fair word of my breath. And so um, the other part about starting with endings, because I was thinking about the wisdom of the breath when I wrote pause recipe and oh. divided it into these sections, you know, and the other part about starting with endings is um, this awareness I have of the real power of the exhale to inform what, what we are able then to inhale and receive. Um, and I think again, in this very, movement-driven, um, accomplishment-driven culture we live in, we think a lot of the inhale, the inhale, receive, 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 <laughs> receive, <laughs> re- receive, and and what we really don't have a lot of practice and capacity for is the release, yet it is the release and the space space making that is done within that space that allows there to be room to to receive, right? Mm -hmm. Um,
0: That's beautiful.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so all of that, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you tell a story in the book about your experience of um, rhabdomyolysis, of landing you in the hospital and the the, um, beautiful story of this nurse that gave you this biblical phrase to live by, be still and know, which you point out led you to the title of the book, Pause, Rest, Be. So would you say more about that for our listeners, about that experience, that advice that you got from uh, from this nurse?
1: Yeah, so I landed, I always tell people I didn't come to rest, you know, <laughs> leisurely floating on my back. (laughs) Um, I didn't come to rest um, with grace or ease in this one sense. Like I didn't willingly walk into the door. I was dragged in kicking and screaming. And what that kicking and screaming looked like is this hospitalization that is for rhabdomyolysis, which is literally um, muscle breakdown, rapid muscle breakdown, from overusage, overwork. And then in that time, I was also diagnosed with like um, uh, dehydration. I was undernourishing myself because I was working and working out all the time, but not putting anything back, back in necessarily. Right. And, and even in that experience, I thought I was going to go in and out of the hospital this is, I'll just be in the clinic and out. And they were like, no, you're going to be here four days. And so within that four days, I have I have a nurse who, um, I don't know that she would call herself a yogi. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, what I know her spiritual pra- practice was, was uh, she talked to me a lot about Christ. And A, it resonated with me because it's the world I was raised in and I was yeah. steeped in in this love for Christ. And, and so in that moment, despite being a practitioner of yoga and having access to all of those texts and all of that wisdom, the homegrown wisdom that could reach me, like that could reach the ground of my being was the words be still and know. And part of why they were so resonant in that moment, I believe is because they were an echo of, of, uh, you know, words that had likely held my mother and my grandmother. They had some kind of lineage power for me. And she just, you know, I don't know how common it is for a nurse to sit on your bed, put their hand on you and say, sweetie, you like, do you know these words? Be still a no, you know? Wow. <laughs> and and wow. she didn't even know me. What she knew was the data she had about me, which was, I was really, I was really young at the time. And she was like, are you an ultra marathon runner? She named all these things. And I was like, no, no. She was like, what, what are you doing? Why don't you have time to drink enough water? How are you dehydrated? Why are you working so hard? Right. Um, and all the time. And I just said, cause I'm scared not to like what happens if I don't do it, who's going to do it?
0: Mm-hmm. And she
1: goes, I, I understand that. You know, she's like, I'm a, I'm a grandmother, I'm a this, I'm a nurse, I work 12 to 16 hour shifts. And then she told me about how she had a, she observed a day of rest every week, no matter what. And that, that day of rest didn't include other people. And so those words reminded me of a place and a practice that was in a force that was more than anything that I could of my own might make happen, you know, that was there to support me. It reminded me of support beyond what I could see and touch. And I really, be, I actually needed that at that time. You know, some people would be like, I need something concrete. But for me, I needed to remember right. because in all of my doing, I was running around acting like if if I didn't do it, (laughs) like, you know, like there was no cosmic support for me. Like there was nothing else in the universe that could hold me. And so that sparked that, I'll call it an old time memory that it's not just you. And it got me curious because I'm a thinker, be still and know what is there that I cannot know if I am not willing to be still. And the rest of that scripture is actually be still and know that I am God. Okay. Right, meaning you what you're trying to force and make happen you might you might need some assistance for that right <laughs> you know, um, and yeah. so I don't even know the nurse's name and sometimes I'm like, was she a real person? I okay. saw her two nights, so I'm like she I think she was real <laughs> um and I deeply appreciate her um reaching across the aisle so to speak because I do remember laying in a hospital bed with like I think I had autobiography of a yogi or something and she said oh right so you do these practices I don't think it's working (laughs) And, and it wasn't like in the mean like yoga doesn't work she just was like I think maybe you're living on the surface of those practices because doesn't wow. that have something to do with stillness? And so that's why I say that she was like, I don't I don't know anything about OM. I don't know anything about these kind of philosophies you might could talk all day about but are you living them are you letting the deepest of those teachings reach you and then she gave me a word that I felt like was the deepest of those teachings you know and it was from a tradition that I had I had familiarity with even as I was you know walk walk a, a, a different spiritual path
0: well, I was just going to say, as a physician, you know, I have to say, I haven't seen that many cases of rhabdomyolysis. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is really serious, you know, people who don't know about it. it, I mean, it, yeah. it can lead to kidney failure. You talked about that. Yeah. If you'd waited longer, you might have had more yep. permanent, you know, consequences. So, yep. so I was like my kind of, you know, hackles raised when I was reading that part of your book about, you know, that you had developed that as a young person. Mm. And then, um, you know, just this, this beautiful story of this person coming to you at that moment and sharing those words that were so deeply meaningful that have, Mm. that are producing this fruit, you know, of part of the book all these years later. So that's, it's a really cool story. And I
1: share that story because um, I want people to know that I really know How truly challenging, frightening, disorienting, and against the grain, deciding to pause, rest, and be actually is, right? Like, I'm like, it literally took all of that, a hospitalization, because I was essentially like getting up at 4am, working out, working all day, not saying no to things, adding more to my play, go, go, go. My only, my greatest worth is in what I can produce and do for people. Who am I if I'm not doing all the things? What if I miss, you know, like, I'm like every thought that people have about why they don't pause or why they can't rest I had it and I also yeah. had the very real like socioeconomic like I have to I have to work like this right. you know right. I'm the first I'm first generation college graduate all of these things and um and so I want people to know that I know that this idea and practice of rest can really seem radical. And it actually is because it's an invitation to go against the grain of the culture we, we live within. But, you know, the greatest teachers and masters and yogis have actually always been going against the grain of the culture and society they live in.
0: Right, right. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you um, so the title, the full title of your book, Pause, Rest, Be, and then uh, subtitle is Stillness Practices for Courage in times of change. And that was interesting to me. So would you tell us more about the connection between practicing stillness and then developing courage? Because those, I mean, intuitively, I feel like it's a very powerful connection. So I wanted to just call our attention to it.
1: Yeah, but it's also not one we think of, we often think of like, wow, look at that courageous act that person just took. And, um, and so part of it is, it takes courage to be still now, doesn't it? You know? And so I'm already like, I wanted to invite people into the simple yet profound awareness that when everything's rushing and running to wherever they are and you decide to go, I'm going to be still. Maybe I'll look (laughs) at the trees that actually takes courage. Right. Right. And, and I'm like that and courage, right. The Latin root is core, which, which is the heart. Art, yes. um, and I also love that the core being the heart versus like the six pack abs. right? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, really and, and <laughs> the the place that we get to listen into and tune into with even a fraction of a second of stillness and quiet is the heart, which is the home of of where courage really abides. And so that's that's part of it. A, I'm like, it takes courage to pause and to rest and decide to be in a world that overprivileges doing and rushing and activity. And then C, the place that we're drawn, or B, the place that we're drawn into when we do practice stillness or rest is is the heart. (laughs) In In the ways that I'm like, asana wasn't getting me to my heart like this. Right. And I'm not talking about the Hallmark heart, you know, (laughs) I'm talking about the seat of the soul heart. Um, I'm talking about the pulsation that, you know, is derived from the mother, you know, and and that when we remember that place, we're really remembering who and what we are and were before the world told us who we should be and how it ought to be, how it's going to be. Right. And so those two things, I'm like, that requires courage. And then for me, as I was resting and being still and just remembering and, and dreaming, I started to feel um, my, my own body, like to be more embodied. So what's interesting to the listener and you is that i had done asana all this time, but I wasn't in my body doing it.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: I, and and for whatever reason, like being still, and not even meditation, right? Meditation, I would be doing this like only in my mind, bypassing thing. I don't really know what I was doing, but something about the act of laying on the ground right. and feeling my body, or laying in a restorative pose and being supported by all the props, I started to go, "Oh, that's me. I'm in here. I'm here. Here's my body." And, and for me, I, what I've gathered, you know, from my own yoga practice and working with the somatic therapist is that, you know, I've like just living in this black woman body. I've had so many experiences where I was fleeing my body. It's not safe to be in here. I can't be home. I can't be in here.
0: Right.
1: And to come back home and get back in my body and to to feel the weight of this body actually required great, great courage for me. And this it's a really cyclical relationship I find with rest where it takes courage to rest and then it gives you courage. You know, takes courage to rest and then stillness gives you courage. Um, And then the last piece of courage is, you know if I think about Dr. Martin Luther King Um, If I think about, so Rosa Parks was a yogi, right? We have, we have some evidence of this and even some kind of visual data that she practiced yoga.
0: Really? Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. I'll send
1: you the picture. I feel like she's sitting in like hero's pose. I've not really seen super active pictures. I've seen images of her sitting, right? right? And then I think about, you know, say even a Gandhi and, those people took actions that positively shaped and reshaped and moved the world. Right, And everything I know about some of those people is that they had a contemplative practice. They had a practice of stillness, you know, um, they had a way of of whether it was for a moment or longer, stepping back or retreating, right? To retreat means to, um, in its origin is like a military word, to step out of battle, right? And they had a way of stepping back from the battlefield um, and being still and taking some respite and I, I kind of posit, like if I were going to do like a research project or do like this kind of historical analysis, that part of where they were gathering their courage from is from the still place and then from taking courageous action, right? Because that begets courage as well. Um, so I was thinking of all of that. And initially, the subtitle was going to be strength. And honestly, I was resting one day when the little boy said, it's, it's not strength that, you're, that people necessarily even need right now. Uh, what you're calling people into or what's been most revealed to you through your practice. It is courage. Yeah. It is heart. It is wow. the willingness and capacity to, to live from, from heart that, right. that rest calls people into.
0: Wow. That is so beautiful. Thank you so much for that. So, as a reminder, I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the Yoga Hour podcast. And today I'm here with Octavia Rahim. That's R A H E E M. Octavia Rahim, an experienced yoga teacher and practitioner. You can find out more about her book pause, rest, B, and her other programs at her website, octaviarahim.com. We'll also be posting links to her website on our website, theyogahour.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us via our website, again, theyogahour.com, where you can also sign up for our mailing list. So. Uh, Octavia, um, you've mentioned restorative yoga now, and I it occurred to me that our listeners may not be familiar with, with restorative mm-hmm. yoga. So let's just take a moment there and talk about restorative yoga and how it may differ from perhaps a, another yoga class that someone might have attended.
1: Oh, yeah, that's a great uh, consideration and question. Restorative yoga is the, the yoga of of rest. <laughs> and I'll just describe how it looks because I think that's when people go, oh, that's different, (laughs) right? (laughs) You know, so in a restorative yoga class, right, most yoga classes, active classes end with a shavasana, right? Um, And many of those classes you just lay down on the floor and the most guidance you get around propping or supporting the body is roll something up and put it under your knees, right? right. But in a restorative class, when we do shavasana, we're going to support, we're going to roll something up and put it under the head and neck, right? We're going to put a bolster under the knees, we're going to wrap the ankles, we might put something under the wrist, we're going to cover the body, we're going to have the eye pillow. And so restorative yoga is the yoga of rest and support, right? We we use a plethora of um props in restorative yoga and this story is in my book but the first time I went to restorative yoga class it was by accident and at the time I was a superpower yoga yogi you know do, do the 108 sun salutations and that is a beautiful practice right but I was doing stuff like that like every other day which can't be balanced right and so I just go into this class because I was just like, I need a class. This is what's on the schedule. How different? I don't know what this word means, but I'd never heard of restorative. So I couldn't imagine a class like it. I go in, there are two people and each person has what looks like 10 props. And I'm like, are more people coming why would one <laughs> why would one person have all of those props yeah. you know and right. I'm just and I, I lay my mat out and the teacher comes over and goes you're gonna need more props I go oh I don't use props I don't use props and she's like well this class is about rest and support I was like I don't need either of those I don't use
0: props <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> wow
1: <laughs> you know and this kind teacher you know she just continues to she starts to get me props one after the other and lays right. them down really meticulously and kindly oh. and I'm just like I don't need all of this <laughs> and then she starts the class and she goes this is a 75 minute class at the most we'll practice um three to four postures and I go what <laughs> you know? and I'm like that if we're gonna do a warrior two that would be like 10 minutes per side like I don't understand what's happening yeah. and so I just sit there I'm a student who just sits with cross legs and at this point folded arms like how do I get out of here what is happening and um And I don't want to, I don't want to do the class, right? You know, so I don't do the first pose. I just sit and watch. And then the second pose where literally in a restorative class, you might spend five minutes setting up the pops to then get into the pose, right? And I'm just sharing this story because I think it's a way to illustrate here's how restorative yoga is different, you know, and what we're doing in restorative yoga is activating the parasympathetic nervous system versus this kind of super active place where we Most of us live in all the time, and so restorative yoga, in short, is you're not doing anything, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean nothing's happening.
0: Right, so much starts to
1: happen on the inside.
0: Yeah,
1: lots of support, lots of props, and if you're really sleepy, tired, you will likely just clunk out, fall asleep. But ultimately, when you practice restorative yoga enough, you start to have the ability and capacity to remain awake deeply aware and relaxed
0: and relaxed right? yeah, yeah, and
1: re- and relaxed in each pose you know I think a good restorative pose needs at least 10 minutes so you know because yeah, yeah. it's at the 10 minute mark where you're for me in that first class it took me about the 15 minute mark once I said okay I'm here I might as well participate um I was fidgety like I just couldn't settle down but there was a moment where all of that just stopped and it wasn't necessarily even voluntary. I didn't think I'm going to (laughs) stop. It was just between the support, the lights were dimmed. I don't, there wasn't even any music because in restorative, we don't like to put a lot of stimulus into the environment. We actually take it, take it away um, so that you can really start to withdraw and drop in So that's, I hope that helps someone who's not familiar with it. And I also hope the story of how I was just like, what is this? This is completely (laughs) unnecessary. Um, And the wild thing about that first restorative class of doing, you know, practicing three poses or so is I finished the class and I got up and I walked out of the studio with nothing, no shoes, no nothing. And then I went, oh, what's happening to me? (laughs) And then I walked back into the studio and I had to sit down. And she had said, don't get up. She said, we slowed down. The world kept going. Right. you have to like, maybe drink some water, take some tea, fold your props up neatly and walk them back slowly. And I was like, I'm not doing any of that. I, like just kind of wrote them. I was like, just the worst student, you know, but it was in that when I had that moment of trying to walk away with no keys, no shoes, no nothing. I went and sat down and I said, something just happened, but I literally didn't do anything. Right. And I even remember the next day, Feeling like I had been like washed clear and clean, and been like, but I didn't do anything. I didn't break a sweat. That's basically what I thought.
0: <laughs> right, right. So you didn't do anything, quote unquote. But
1: something yeah. happened. Something yeah. really shifted. I didn't go back for for years until I had this, you know, experience with rhabdomyolysis. I was like, it scared me actually. You know that level of stillness and release and quietude and Right. even self acceptance right like all the things that started to happen I was like oh no who am I if I if, if that starts to happen and I right. remembered right. the class my body remembered the class but I was like I'm not willingly going back there until like basically wow. I was you know kicking and screaming when I went back
0: wow that is such a great story I'm so glad I asked you about that mm-hmm. um, so one of the things I, I really love about your book is the way that you've designed it so you have um a restorative yoga pose <clears throat> and you give some beautiful directions about how to you know extensive directions about how to get into the pose as you just said in fact i even loved as you were describing the props i love the photo that you have at the beginning you know of the all the props like what is it fire six blankets that are all rolled mm-hmm. and stacked up and just kind of piles of things you know a bolster and all these things you know a cushion um, and uh, and it was it just was an illustration of what you were what you were just talking about. So how did you choose, well, I guess I should fi- finish what I was saying so it starts with this restorative pose but then there's these brief chapters of reflection for each of those three things that you talked about so the endings there's a section on endings there's a section on this liminal or in between times and then there's the third section is beginnings and then each you know you, you begin with the pose then you have these brief chapters about each of those topics which are just really beautiful and then questions for reflection um at, at after each brief chapter so first of all just beautiful way that you designed the book it was really lovely you know, you. for me to experience that how did you come to choose which restorative pose uh, to go with each of those changes so for the endings you chose uh shavasana or the corpse pose mm-hmm. for the liminal in between space you did the sideline pose and then beginnings you did the child's pose so mm-hmm. and each of those doing them as a restorative pose as you just described so that your body is fully supported that you really relax into the pose that you hold mm-hmm. it for at least five minutes if if not ten that you just yeah. described um so how did you choose those particular poses to illustrate these three sections of the book
1: yeah, those poses chose me. They chose us, and it's also what the poses are, right? Shavasana, the corpse, the end. That's it. <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean, like shavasana. I said this is really, and I want to be clear in terms of supported shavasana. Um, because that pose has literally been a place that when, when, when I'm like, it's, I'm in deep grief, or something's ending, or um, there's a lot of pain or hurt, or I just can't really do anything else. I've been laid on my back and needed it to be a supported shavasana. So part of it was like, what pose has supported me through endings, Mm. and helped me to Um, embrace that as part of the cycle of existence Um, and and then I also remembered that one of my first teachers had said shavasana is the most important pose you will ever practice and that was like at the end of my first class (laughs) and I just was like what is he talking about you know and what he he gave me the guidance he was like I'm not going to answer your why, just keep practicing and let the pose reveal why it's the most important. And again, it's like to the power of, uh, with awareness and a sense of presence and consciousness ending, right? And I feel like that's what Shavasana invites us into how to skillfully be with the ends, whatever, whatever it is to be with the corpse, whatever, if it's the corpse of an idea, the corpse of a relationship, or the loss of an actual person, um, and so that pose was just staring at me like, you know I'm the pose for endings, right <laughs> you know um, and then sideline pose, if we take the trajectory kind of of a a yoga class, after we end. What do we do? Bend the knees, we roll onto the side. We're in the space in between, right?
0: Uh-huh. right. And, all,
1: and also, that shape is reminiscent of the fetal position, which is definitely a space in between. Um, and it's also the way in line. like there are lots of ways you can practice it, but it's like this invitation to be in this embrace. And I'm like, when we walk through or navigate through the in between space, there's a level of uh, br- embracing, not bracing, but embracing um, that is needed. But also after after Shavasana, bend knees, roll to the side. This is the space in between, and then after that, we we begin, right? And what is Balasana? What is Child's Pose? It is the pose of we, we start there. <laughs> it's also a kneeling position. And, um, I come from a family and church tradition where we start everything with prayer, like how you just started with that meditation we would start with prayer. And I also was raised by women who still got down on their knees and prayed, wow. you know, my mom would kneel by her bedside and pray. And for me within the yoga tradition, it was like, okay, this is child's pose is the beginning. Right? Right, right. Uh, it is the beginning, but I also sure. was, um, honoring that I come from a place that begins with kneeling. Mm -hmm. We begin by kneeling in prayer. I often, when I'm teaching, I'll call child's pose the the prayer pose, right? And people go, what did you say? And I'm like, (laughs) when when in life do we actually kneel down, put the head below the heart Mm -hmm. um, and bow in this way? And so it's both honoring that the child is where we begin and also an invitation for people to bless their, their beginnings um, while they're kneeling in the shape of the child, by loss in our Child's pose. So those poses just they like, I didn't even have to think hard about it. It was like, boom, these are the poses <laughs> that represent each. It, felt, it feels really natural and organic, right? Like right, it feels right, like it this does. is how this yeah. is how it is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and if I think if people practice, if someone's like, God, oh, I'm really at the start of something and I could use some connection i want to tune into that energy and the the spirit that i'll need to guide me through that i say go go practice child's pose and see what happens see what you hear because each shape i think has a little different flavor to it too you know and thus the awareness that we get within it or the 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 insider wisdom that comes from it Mm -hmm. um matches matches that as well
0: yeah Well, that was just really, really (laughs) lovely. And it struck me as you were talking that, of course, classes sort of throughout yoga often end, of course, with Shavasana. And then they start often, you know, at least many classes I've been in do start with child's pose. So you're right Mm -hmm. that sort of they do have that kind of a feel uh, to them. Yeah, so that's great.
1: Mm-hmm. One
0: of the things I enjoyed was just your writing about these different these different um, uh, phases, these three phases we've been talking about. And when you were talking about endings, you, you have a chapter that's called uh, Down by the Riverside, and I loved what you wrote about the river. Um, and I was wondering if you, uh, you would you like to read it or did you want me to read um, a little bit of that? It's on page uh, 37. Uh, the, the part that starts with, I look to the river to teach me a way to live, exist, be.
1: Mm. Yeah. Do you want me to read that whole thing? What do you want me well, What to did start? you
0: read until, uh, let's see, um, I am changed by everything that touches me. I resist nothing. Most years I am gentle. Yeah. It's just so I'm, beautiful.
1: I'll read that. I'm looking at a river flow, a steady, slow stream. There are heavy rocks anchored beneath the pulsing river. I lean forward to sense the depth and touch the movement of this moment. Up close, I see the rocks worn, clearly affected, transformed even by the ambling, unhurried dance of water passing eternity after eternity over them. I look to the river to teach me a way to live, exist and be. River speaks to me in whispers and slow rhymes. River says, watch me. I am unhurried and I have been for millions of years. I know my rhythm and the very drumbeat of life. I am soft and fluid, yet I change everything I touch. I'm changed by everything that touches me. I resist nothing. Most years I am gentle.
0: That's so beautiful. I mean, that's like a poem. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's really great. And of course, it reminded me of, um, particularly with yoga and the significance, you know, coming from India, the stories Mm -hmm. of the Ganges, you know, river and the spiritual Mm -hmm. significance of, you know, of the river. Mm -hmm. Um, So as you reflect on the river, um, would you, did you want to say any more about how it helps us move through, uh, move through endings?
1: You know, I was thinking about uh, the river of time. I was thinking about the river and the significance of it in um, Black American spirituals, right? There's so much that happens down by the river. Down by
0: the river, yeah.
1: Um, I was thinking about the river as a conduit of um, freedom, creativity, and I was thinking about the river as a place A sanctuary and being washed clear of what has um, threatened to, to be the end of us, right? Which when we, you know, some endings feel very final. You know, physical death is one of them, even though I believe that something, the essence continues. Yet what I know most of us experience that when we have a big ending, it feels like that ending is going to end us. And I was thinking about the continuation of a river as a reminder that the endings cannot end us. They do change us, though, right? Which is what a river represents—this kind of continuous flow. Yet, um, I think it was Alice Walker who said, "You can't step in the same river twice."
0: Right. Right. Um,
1: and so that's what I was thinking about with the river. But again, it like full transparency, a lot of what I wrote would be like, I saw this image as I was resting. Wow. And then I wrote to try to articulate it and make it make sense. What was that vision I just had, you know, and that's where that nice. came from.
0: That's yeah, It's really beautiful.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, unbelievably, We've already just about come to the end of our time. I did want to give you a couple of minutes. uh, In closing, what words of inspiration or encouragement would you like to leave with our listeners?
1: You know, I trust what comes into my head in the moment that you asked me that question. And what I heard was nothing. Mm. And it feels then important to end with a pause and to end with silence mm. and to feel into the truth power and courage that dwells within that
0: place that's really lovely i just wanted to i just wanted to honor that with just little with a little pause there just to give people that experience and hopefully encouragement to mm. look towards the opportunity to explore stillness and stillness practices, and your book gives many, many ideas about that. (laughs) You've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of The Yoga Hour. My guest today has been Octavia Rahim. You can find out more about Octavia at her website, octaviarahim.com. And again, Rahim is R-A-H-E-E-M, Rahim. OctaviaRahim.com. A link to her website will be posted on our website, TheYogaHour.com. Thank you so much, Octavia, for joining me today on the Yoga Hour podcast. It's been delightful to talk with you.
1: Yes, thank you.
0: For listeners, we hope that you'll join us for the many online programs offered by the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. Currently, there is morning meditation from 6:30 to 7:30 a.m. Pacific, afternoon meditation from 4 to 4:30 p.m., and then Monday evenings at 7:30 p.m. So, lots of opportunities for you to maybe start a stillness practice by joining one of those uh, one of those meditations. We offer also offer a Sunday Satsang at 10 a.m. each week. All these times are Pacific times. There's going to be a celebration of the Guru Purnima holiday with Yogacharya O'Brien on July 13th. You can find out more about all of this on the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment website, csecenter.org. Join us next time on the Yoga Hour when I will be joined by guest Nina Zolotow, yoga teacher, author, and editor-in-chief of Yoga for Healthy Aging blog. We'll be discussing how we can create equanimity and awareness that will support us in writing the ebbs and flows of life. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment a Meditation Center in the Kriya Yoga Tradition. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying the show, share it with a friend. Thank you to the YogaR team, founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, assistant producers, Anne Hayes, Mickey Coronado and Christine Soat. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now.